Thanks for listening to the City Church Podcast. This sermon is part of our series entitled Glorious Perspective, where we will see how the Sermon on the Mount outlines God's plan for a life of joy. For more information and resources, visit www.ourcitychurch.org. If you're new to City Church, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Listen, it is a... uh, Hi. It is a... uh, it is an incredible time to be serving Jesus right now, especially in the Northeast. I don't know if you realize this. Sometimes when, we go, when I get to go to different locations, I always want to really encourage you in this. Uh, we are in the middle of a move of God. Okay, Uh, we're in the middle. Yeah, you can clap about that. We're in the middle of a move of God. And I know that sometimes the interesting thing about a move of God is that sometimes it doesn't feel like a move of God when you're only in a part of it, you know, and uh, and you feel like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. But um, I can tell you honestly and humbly, uh, just even as you look at organizationally as a church, as you look at the last few years here at City Church, we're three and a half years old, and you look at just the number of people that are attending, and the number of people that are involved, and the number of people who are serving, and the number of outreaches that are being outreached, and the number of dollars that are being given. I'm telling you, friends, it's like this. It's incredible. You could have clapped there. That would have been better if you did. It's incredible. I mean, it is in the middle of a move of God. And uh, I'm so, so thrilled. I always enjoy uh, being here in our Bridgeport location, so we love you guys. And it is just a joy to be sharing with you today. And, uh, and hopefully you've been encouraged by this teaching series. I know that this has really been stirring and encouraging my heart as we've taken some time just to really take a look, a closer look at the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the eight Beatitudes that Jesus uh, taught in the very beginning of that Sermon on the Mount. And so if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to get right into, uh, into business today. But uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you have a Bible, you can go there. If not, you can follow along on this screen. But, uh, but God wants to speak to you today. He wants to speak to you today. So is everybody doing okay? Yeah? Yeah, you're doing all right? Good. It's good to see a lot of friends. It's good to... Uh, Get to just visit a little bit. My kids are upstairs terrorizing your kids, so that's good. No, I'm serious. They will terrorize your kids. I'm serious. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. We've walked through three of these Beatitudes already, so we are on the fourth Beatitude. Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied satisfied. Let's just ask God to speak to us specifically through that word, okay? Let's ask him today. God, you know every story in the room. You know every person's personal issues and struggles, and uh, you know what's going on in our lives. You know what we got going on later this afternoon and tomorrow. You know the history that we've had with religion and with faith and with spirituality. You know all these things. And I pray that somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would uniquely and perfectly custom fit this particular phrase. Blessed are, the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That you take that phrase and you just, by your power, speak it to us this morning. Make it in, so clear and uh, put it in a way that speaks directly to our hearts. And uh, God, I pray that nobody in the room, including myself, God, that we would never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you guys enjoy the Super Bowl? How many watched the Super Bowl? How many ladies watched the Super Bowl? Not just the commercials? All right, all right, all right. We got some, some gifted women of God here. That's good. 
my wife does not understand football at all. You know, she'll be like, why did they do that? What's that? And, you know, it's like, babe, it's too late. You're not going to get it. It's all right. But, but we went to my father-in-law's house for the Super Bowl, and uh, we had a good time there. My father-in-law is a preacher. Some of you guys have heard him. He's a great man of God, an amazing guy, uh, leads a church in Clinton in Connecticut here. And, uh, and we went to his house for the Super Bowl, had a great time. And we got there, you know, and uh, there's certain times in my life where I just have particular desires. You know, it's not very often. I'm not an incredibly particular individual. Well, that's actually not true. There are some areas that I'm very particular, but in other areas, I'm not that particular. But at this particular time, I was incredibly particular, and I was hoping that they would have some Coke so that I could drink it. Now, I know that Coke's not the best for you, and if you put a penny in it, it'll disintegrate or whatever, but, but I was just looking forward to just a little bit of Coca-Cola. I don't drink a whole lot of soda, but on a special occasion like the Super Bowl, even though the Giants weren't there, I just was hoping that I could, uh, that I could get some Coke. And so I got there, and I said, you know, hey, Bob, do you guys have any soda here? And he's like, well, we have some Sierra Mist, which they just invented that like a few years ago. That's not even a real soda. I was like, Sierra Mist? Like, no, 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 no. Do you have any Coke here? And he's like, no, no, we don't have any Coke, but we've got water. We've got bubbly water. We've got beers of every assortment. We've got wines of every assortment, and we have Sierra Mist. And I thought, this is unacceptable. I, I, I don't know what to do. And so I sat down, and I had a couple of other beverages that didn't satisfy my palate, but I was just waiting, you know, hoping for some Coke. And so uh, luckily, a friend called. Actually, some of you may know him, Justin LePage. He shared his testimony here before. And, uh, and he just called and said, hey, I know you're at Bob's house because he's a friend of Bob's. He said, do you think I could come by? And I said, well, you can't under one condition, you know. I said, you got to stop and get me some Coke, man. I'm, I'm thirsty, and I want some Coke, and they don't have anything here. It's ridiculous. Would you get me some Coke? And, of course, one of my very good friends, some of you guys know him, Matt DeCicio. We call him Cheech. He is a big fan of Coke as well. So now we had a team. You know, it's me and him, and we want some Coke. And so uh, we said, listen, we're not going to let you in the door without Coke. And so he shows up, and he's Cokeless. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, we told you you're not coming. He's like, no, no, I sent my roommate Caesar to get some Coke. So now little Caesar's going to get some Coke. And, uh, and so finally, he's actually not that little, but uh, he's from the military. He's a good man. If you're here, Caesar, bless you. Uh, so finally, he walks in, and, uh, and we're like, Caesar, what's, what do you got? And he pulls out of a bag a two-liter bottle of Pepsi. I mean, are you serious? You know, like after all of that. Did you know that you can go 70 days, well, some people can, 70 days without eating food, and individuals have made it up to seven days without drinking anything. But in reality, as I studied this passage throughout the week, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, I realized that uh, I couldn't find a single analogy that made sense to communicate to a bunch of Americans about hungering and thirsting because we don't have hungering and thirsting problems. We don't know what it means to really hunger and thirst. You know, the biggest issues we have are Pepsi versus Coke. And when you look at the real view of hungering and thirsting, these pathetic little, you know, know, desires are so small in comparison to the reality of what it means to hunger and thirst. 37,000 supermarkets fill the United States, 616,000 restaurants. You will eat this year approximately one ton of food. That's about 2,000 pounds. Holy moly, that's a lot of food. That's how much you'll eat this year, approximately. And so, you know, the struggles that we have in this country is, you know, do I like Starbucks or do I like Dunkin' Donuts, you know? Or do I, do I drink the organic milk or do I drink the milk that tastes good? You know, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you struggle with, you know, that you kind of battle with. And, uh, and there was an age in human history. In fact, it's still true in other parts of the world. There was a time in human history where if the wheat harvest or the barley harvest did not come through, you did not have bread. 
I mean, it's, I mean, just think about that for a second. Like, when's the last time you got to stop and shop or wherever you go to shop, you know, Whole Foods or whatever it is that you do, and you get there and you say, you know, hey, do you have any bread? No, we don't have any bread. The wheat harvest didn't uh, do well this year. You'd be like, what? No, no, no. Where's the bread, really? Because we, are, we found a system by which we're not really influenced by those things, not to the same degree that we once were. 870 million people tonight will go to bed hungry. That's one in eight. One in eight people will go to bed hungry. And so in their case, hunger and thirst has become the dominant issue of their life. It's all they're thinking about. You know, you've heard the stories of sub-Saharan Africa where there's individuals who, you know, you sit down with them, you say, tell me about your day. And they'll say, well, I woke up at 6 a.m. And then I walked seven hours to a well. And then I got this big, nasty, dirty bucket of water and I filled it up to the top. And then I put it on my shoulder and I walked back six or seven hours to my house. And then my kids drank the water. And then the next day I woke up And I put on that same bucket, and I walked it all the way back six or seven hours. So what's your job? My job is to walk seven hours a day in the sun to get a big thing of dirty water and then come back. That's my job. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how the overarching desire of your life becomes hunger or thirst, and everything else is filtered through the lens of, can we get water, and can we eat something? I felt like that was a good time to take a drink. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's very, very different than, uh, than what we know in our world. And you look at Jesus and what he's saying, the individuals that he's talking to on the Sermon on the Mount, remember we've been unpacking this for weeks now, there's thousands of people listening, his disciples are closest, he's sitting down on a mountain and he's proclaiming, we're like four and a half seconds into his talk right now. You know, because he started with blessed with the poor in spirit. We're on sentence number four. It's taken us four weeks. He's pretty deep. He's God. So he's got that going. So he preaches, and this fourth sentence, everybody could resonate with this because they understood, those individuals that were listening, what he was talking about when he said hunger and thirst. He knew, and they knew, what hunger and thirst was. Guaranteed, these individuals had lived through a famine. They had lived through an era of their life where they could not have food or water, and they had to conserve, and they had to figure out how to survive. And so when Jesus spoke, speaks about hungering and thirsting, they knew he's talking about the paramount needs of life, the greatest, most important, biggest things. Now, hunger itself is a good thing, right? Somebody say amen, right? Now, if you weren't hungry, those of us have kids, let me see your hand if you have kids. Yeah, if you have a kid, you know, you know that when that kid was little and they don't want to eat, that's a concern, right? Hunger is a good thing. If they say, no, I don't want any food, it's like, okay, but what about now? No, I don't want any food. And what about now? And after a little while, you know, 12, 13 days, you're getting nervous, right? Hopefully before that. Hopefully before that, right? You're getting nervous because they're not eating. See, eating is a natural thing, and being hungry is something that's good. It's a sign of health. And so hunger is not your problem, right? It's what you're eating that's your problem. See, hunger gets distorted when we start feeding on things that were never meant to satisfy, right? And so instead of eating, you know, some glorious salad or some paleo diet or some healthy food, instead you're feasting on donuts and jelly beans and and these types of things, ice cream, that maybe in moderation are okay, but if that becomes the substance of your diet, your body's going to tell you no good, right? It's going to be okay for a little while. I faked it through my 20s, but then as you get older, somebody say amen, as you get older, your body begins to prophesy to you, right? And it starts to tell you, hey, this is not going in a positive direction, right? You are going to begin to hurt yourself if you don't change your habits. That's true in the natural. Now, it's incredible when you look at history, what's happened through the generations when people have gotten desperate for food. 
I was researching just a few famines this week, and there was an incredible famine in Ukraine in uh, the 1930s, and this is one eyewitness testimony of what happened. She wrote this. She said, uh, we ate sparrows, pigeons, cats, dead and live dogs. When there was still cattle, it was eaten first, then the domestic animals. Some were eating their own children. I would never eat, been able to eat my own child. One of our neighbors came home when her husband, suffering from severe starvation, ate their own baby daughter. This woman went crazy. Can you imagine that level of intensity where you're pursuing the wrong target with your food and now you're not just hurting your own body, you're actually destroying and hurting the people around you. This is what happens when hunger fixes itself on the wrong target. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's not speaking about a physical hunger, but he's using physical hunger as an analogy for you and I to understand a deeper reality, right? And the deeper reality that he's trying to get to is a soul hunger. It's a hunger deep on the inside of your soul. He's telling you that every individual, whether you are aware of it or not, has both a physical hunger and an inner hunger, a soul hunger. And there are particular, stay with this, particular foods in which your soul must feast upon if it is ever to be satisfied. I'm telling you, this will absolutely change your life. There are particular foods. Now, you could eat, you know, the donuts and the jelly beans of the soul your whole life, and for a little while, you can take away that hunger pain, but eventually, it's going to come back, and it's going to become even more severe because there are particular things that carry the spiritual nutrients that you need that enable you to be satisfied in this inner hunger. Okay, And so there is this inner hunger of the soul. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that God has planted, I like that, he's planted eternity in our hearts. So you have this eternal thing in you that longs for something greater. You know how it comes out. It comes out in a desire to succeed. It comes out in a desire to make your name great. It comes out in a desire to have a good family. It's not always a bad thing, but it comes out in a craving for significance or for relationship that's valuable. All these things point to a divine inner hunger. Uh, John Piper, one great preacher, he said it like this, God has put eternity in our hearts and we have an inconsolable longing. We try to satisfy it with scenic vacations, accomplishments of creativity, stunning cinematic production, sexual exploits, national sports extravaganza, hallucinogenic drugs, aesthetic rigors, managerial excellence, etc., etc., but the longing remains. St. Augustine, one of the great church fathers, said, Thou made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until it rests in thee restlessness, longing. Every single human being has this longing, this inner desire. Now, that hunger is good, right? That hunger is good. It's a good hunger. It's from God. That desire for significance, that longing is a good thing, just like your physical hunger is a good thing. The problem is when you try to satisfy that hunger with substance that was never meant to satisfy it, right? And so now you're living your life for applause, or you're living your life for wealth, or you're living your life for good looks, or for recognition, or for status, or for importance in the eyes of other people. And so it satisfies for a little while, and I'm explaining your life right now, some people in the room, it satisfies for a little while, but then the craving comes back, right? 
It comes back, and sometimes it comes back even more fiercely than it did before. And so now you have this greater craving for success, or this greater craving for accolades, or the promotion wasn't enough, or the sexual exploits weren't enough. And so now you start craving in a higher level. And before you know it, you're not just making yourself spiritually obese. You are now hurting the people around you. And so you sleep with that girl, even though you don't care about her, or you lied to your boss so that you can get ahead. And now you start forfeiting your values because you're starving in your soul you can turn to somebody around you just tell them this is good preaching this is good preaching it's good preaching thank you i'm just encouraging myself david did it i'm doing it encouraging myself happiness though has always been a result it's always been the fruit not the root Okay. In other words, happiness has always been something that comes from other things. And as we've been looking at the teachings of Jesus, we've mentioned every single week that God is pretty interested in your happiness. That's good news, right? God wants you happy. The creator of the universe desires you for you to be happy. Now, I think that's a very positive thing. That's encouraging to me that God wants me to be happy. But we've talked about how happiness doesn't come the way that we think it's supposed to come, right? That's the trick with happiness. We think happiness might come if I had more money or if I had more success or if I had a better marriage or if I had all these other things. Happiness is going to come through those things, right? But what we found so far is that Jesus's version of happiness is a polar opposite to what we would expect he starts by saying hey happy are the poor right when you're poor in spirit you're going to be the happiest person in the room right and so he says happy are those that recognize and see their own depravity their own brokenness their own spiritual poverty happy are the individuals who recognize that their life is like a polluted garment a shirt with stains so dark that they'll never be washed out and so they come to god fully acknowledging they have nothing to offer him happy are those people then he goes and builds on top of that and says that will produce inside the soil of your soul a divine mourning a mourning this longing of the heart your heart becomes moved and you desire restitution you long for accountability you embrace the consequences of your actions and you you develop a new hate for sin. Y'all track with me so far? If you miss these, turn to the person next to you and say, you got to listen to the podcast. You got to listen to the podcast. Somebody's got to listen to the podcast to catch you up. But what happens is, okay, now that morning has developed and out of this divine morning is cultivated a meekness, right? And we defined meekness, very important. We understand that meekness is the revelation, the conviction that God cares for me, which then enables me to live selflessly right? And so I'm able to live selflessly because I've become convinced that God cares for me based upon what he's done in my soul already, okay? So he's already proven to me that when I'm poor in spirit, stay with me, we're going deep here. When I'm poor in spirit, he's going to give me the kingdom. And when I mourn biblically, he's going to comfort me. And so I become confident that God is with me. And in that confidence, I cultivate this conviction that God is for me and that he cares for me, which enables me to let go. There's your recap. Okay, so now we see that there is a growing reality. Remember, these beatitudes grow one out of the other out of the other. So there's a growing reality in these beatitudes, and we find that now we start to become aware of a divine inner hunger. I talk to so many Christians that don't have this hunger, that don't live in the awareness of this hunger, and it's always because they didn't start where God started. And so this hunger starts to grow. C.S. Lewis famously said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, right? And so I'm made for this other world, and I start to find within my own soul a hunger and a thirst, right? 
this supernatural hunger. Did I mess it up? It's crazy. It's an upside-down world we live in. <laughs> Did that on purpose in the upside-down kingdom of God. <clears throat> right. I'm not going to sell that. And so we began with this idea of praying a breath prayer every week, right? You've been praying these prayers? God, ruin me. Help me see you, right? And so this prayer says, God, just ruin me. Help me see you. Untangle the pride of my own heart and help me see you. An absolutely dangerous prayer. And I encourage you to continue to pray. And then as you begin to pray that prayer, you go on to your second prayer. I turn from sin. Come Holy Spirit. This is embracing this attitude of mourning. I turn from sin. Come Holy Spirit. And then as we begin to realize that God is for us and that he's with us, we start to pray, God, I believe you care for me, so I let go. I let go. I believe you care for me. And now this conviction starts to grow inside of me, this growing desire. And if you're a follower of Christ, this has already happened to you, and you've maybe not become aware of it. So I want to give you some language for your experience, okay? You've already experienced this growing desire. You've experienced this brokenness of soul. You've experienced this humility. And now this longing starts to get inside of you, this longing that says, I want to be holy. I want to be humble. I want to be pure. I want to pursue God. I want to be like Jesus. I long for this. I desire this. Nothing else can satisfy me. God, I just want to be like you. This grows out of these experiences. You can jot this down if you want. This is a great revelation. I encourage you, meditate upon it throughout the week. Only righteousness can satisfy the great hunger of your soul. Only righteousness can satisfy your great soul hunger. Only righteousness. Remember, Jesus is interested in your happiness. Stay with me today. He's interested in your happiness. This is a huge idea. He's interested in you being happy. And so he wants to show you how to get to happiness. The trick is you can't get to happiness by chasing happiness. You can only get to happiness by chasing what God says to chase. And so he says, you should pursue poverty of spirit, coming to the own, your own brokenness. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. And then you should intentionally mourn that brokenness so that you can see that you have nothing to offer God and that he cares for you and you become convinced that he cares for you and so it puts inside of you this humility, this attitude of humility and now out of that grows this longing to be like God, this longing to be righteous and it's the pursuit of that and this is where so many Christians stumble. It's the pursuit of that that will make you happiest. So you can become satisfied to a degree with success or with wealth, or with health, or with anything that you say, this is making me happy, and it's good for a little while, but your soul still longs, it still cries, it still begs, because the only food that your soul was intended to be satisfied upon was righteousness. Righteousness. Let me try to illustrate. Exodus chapter 33, it's a passage I've been thinking about last few days. Exodus 33 is a great story about Moses and the people of Israel. And you know the story if you've been around church. They've not exactly been the most obedient bunch, right? They've consistently rebelled against God. And because these people have consistently rebelled against God, God says, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I'm dropping the keys. It's over, right? And so he says, I'm done. I'm just going to be, I'm going to move. And so he pulls Moses aside and he says to Moses in Exodus 33, you can, you can read it on your own. He says, Moses, let me explain something to you. He says, okay, uh, here's what's going to happen. I am going to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. I'm going to lead you into Canaan. Don't miss this today. I'm going to lead you into Canaan. I'm going to have an angel go with you. And I'm going to give you the land that flows with milk and honey. I'm going 
going to give you the land that's prosperous. I'm going to give you, check this out, everything you've been praying for and asking for, but the people are a stiff-necked generation, and I will not go with them. So here's the deal. God is going to bless you if you're single with a gorgeous spouse. God is going to bless you with a beautiful home. God is going to bless you with 2.5 kids. God is going to bless you with a golden retriever dog that listens when you throw the ball to him. God is going to bless you with a great 401k and a job that you enjoy. God is going to bless you with a fully manicured lawn. God is going to bless you with vacations every year. But he's not going with you. Do you take that deal? Do you take that deal? Now, you might say, oh, no, I'm supposed to say no. No, I don't take that deal. No. In the, in the reality of your own soul, do you take that deal? Now, I started thinking about that this week. Justin, if I gave you a great church that reached hundreds of thousands of people all over the Northeast, and if you saw thousands come, and if uh, you saw your, the music God's given you cross the nation, and if you saw resources go out that touch the world, but if, I, if my presence wasn't with you, would you take that? Think about your own life, the great things you've been praying about, the job you've been calling out to God for, the spouse you've been longing for, the healing of your marriage, all this stuff. If God gave you all that, but you lost intimacy with him, would you even know it? And would you take that deal? And in Exodus 33, Moses says, no way. This courageous man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, he says, no, 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 God, you don't understand. It's an incredible passage. He says, you don't understand. I don't really care about the land, and I don't really care about the milk, and I don't really care about the honey, and I don't even care about the angels. I don't care about any of that. The only thing, God, that's made us distinct among the nations is it not that you are with us. That's what I long for. I long for you, God. I long for you. That's what I want. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How is it possible that you can be a follower of Christ and have all the right answers to the right questions, but not deep down have a desperate longing for God? I want to be successful in ministry. I want to be successful in my family. I want to have a nice life. I want to have good things in my heart. But do you want to know him? Do you want to walk with him? Do you want to know his voice? Do you want to meditate upon his word? Do you long to be more humble, more passionate, more patient, more gracious, more meek, more kind? Do you long to embody the character of Christ? That's what's going to make you happy. That's the nutrition that your soul desperately needs. Come on, tell somebody this is getting good. That was not convincing. This was getting good. It's getting good. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let me give you three statements that will help you grasp this, okay? Three statements for what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first is really simple. Number one is I hunger to be right with God. This is where righteousness, a hunger and thirst for righteousness begins. It does not end here, but this is where it begins. So if we want to understand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have to discern first that I hunger to be right with God. There's this inner awareness in every person's conscience that they're not right with God. Some numb it and ignore it. Others become consumed by it and jump into religion. But all of us are some level aware of the fact that we're not right with God. 
that there's something about our world that's not right, and it's a relationship with God that's been severed. This manifests in all types of interesting ways. I was watching a, a, uh, an interview with <clears throat> Tom Brady, whether you love him or hate him, whatever. He's a great quarterback, right? Ladies that don't watch football and men that don't watch football. Tom Brady's a quarterback, okay? He's a, he's a quarterback for a team in uh, the New England Patriots, and he's pretty good. He's won three Super Bowls, and I don't even like the Patriots, but, but he's a great quarterback. He's an incredible athlete. And so, um, so I watched this interview with him, and this lady's interview, and she says, well, what drives you? What motivates you? What are your thoughts when you're out on the field? And it was the strangest interview because it was almost like a psychology session, you know? He was like, well, um, actually, most of my thoughts are just that I'm not good enough, that I just... I, my footwork's not right, my, my, the handling of the ball, I just keep fumbling it, and, and then I, I don't see far enough, I don't throw as good as the other guys in the league, I just, I'm constantly thinking to myself, come on, Tom, step up your game, what's the matter with you, when are you going to get better? And he says, and it just keeps pushing me, and pushing me, and pushing me, and I'm listening to this interview thinking, dude, you're an idiot, you're the greatest quarterback of the last 25 years, maybe of ev- all time, and you're consumed with how lousy you are? What is that in your brain that messes with you so much? But the truth is, you've heard that voice, probably not about being a quarterback, but about something. That it just, I'm just not good enough. I just, I'm 95%, I'm 98%, but I'm just not quite right with God. And this manifests most in our interaction with God. I just think that, oh God, have I done enough? Do you like me enough? Am I holy enough? I mean, I know other people hear your voice and other people have experiences with you, but that's probably not gonna happen with me because I don't know, I don't think I pray enough and I, I probably don't give enough and, and, and I just don't, I don't love enough. What is it? I just don't know, but I, I just, don't get it. Do you know what the scripture says though? It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because, there's a promise, they shall be, it's not a trick question, satisfied, right? They shall be satisfied. So in other words, God has a divine, perfect, 100% satisfaction. And this is where righteousness, again, begins. It doesn't end here. Unfortunately, many followers of Christ never get past this. They always live with this sort of works mentality, I don't think God likes me because I messed up yesterday attitude that doesn't enable them to excel in their relationship with God. But let me just remind you of what the scripture says, okay? I'm gonna crank through a couple, so stay with me. Colossians chapter two says this, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you, past tense, made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Somebody say all. All. Stain lifter, that's all, right? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it out of the way, or he's taken it away in this translation, nailing it to the cross, okay? And then he says in 2 Corinthians 5, he made, that's God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I'm not the righteousness of Justin cleaned up. According to the good news of the scripture, I am not the righteousness of my own best day. I am the righteousness of God himself in the eyes of God. And so in the eyes of God, there's been a divine exchange. And we talk about it all the time here because it's the source of life. We understand there's a divine exchange between my righteousness and God's righteousness that when I come to Christ and believe that he died for my sins and that he rose again, God makes an exchange and he justifies me in the eyes of his own judgment. And so now the wickedness of my life is placed upon Christ from the day I was born to the day I die and the perfection of Jesus is placed upon me. And so now in the eyes of the Father, I am perfect. 
Look at what Titus says. He says he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us, what's that next word? Righteous. He declared us righteous and gave us, there it is, confidence that we will inherit eternal life. He's given us this confidence. See, if your soul hasn't taken a hold of this, there's a satisfaction for you at the very beginning of the gospel that God still has, that you are right with God, fully 100% because of Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great Bible teachers of the last generation, he said, the Christian should always be a man who knows that his sins are forgiven. Come on. The Christian should always be a man who knows that his sins are forgiven. He should not be seeking it. He should know he has it, that he is justified in Christ freely by the grace of God, and he stands righteous at this moment in the presence of the Father. That's the satisfaction that a hunger for righteousness begins in your life. Okay? And if you don't have that today, I want to challenge you, do not leave this room without praying with someone to receive that confidence in grace. That confidence in Jesus. Don't leave this room. Here's one of the great mysteries of our hunger for righteousness. You know, in the natural, when you eat something, you're satisfied and you don't want any more food, right? Generally. In the spirit, when you eat something, you're satisfied and the grace of God in you expands the spiritual stomach that you have and increases your capacity, creating a bigger hunger for more. So in other words, what I'm saying is just as you discover satisfaction in the gospel, just as you discover that you are righteous in God and fully satisfied in him, just as that revelation starts to take root in your heart, now the hunger inside of you supernaturally expands so that you are both fully satisfied and increasingly hungry. And so I told you I'd give you three statements to understand what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It begins with the revelation of Christ's righteousness for me that enables me to then be fully satisfied, 100% right with God all the time. I don't have to bicker or battle for it. It's given to me freely. And as I've experienced the freedom that comes from complete righteousness in God, it doesn't produce in me a divine laziness to not pursue God. Instead, it supernaturally expands my capacity for hunger and creates the second statement that causes me to long for more. It's this. You can write it down. Number two is I hunger to be more like Jesus. And so just as my hunger for righteousness is satisfied in being made right with God, now I find within myself a great hunger to be more like Jesus. I hunger to be more holy. I hunger to be more humble. I hunger to be free from sin. I hunger to be free from the desire of sin. I hunger to be more courageous. I hunger to see more miracles. I hunger to hear his voice more clearly. Here's a crazy idea. What are the limits to your experience as a Christian? Well, you'll often answer that question based upon some denominational background that you have. Let me answer it based upon the Bible. What are the limits to your experience? Well, let's use Matthew 5, 6 to answer the question. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here's the great thing. You get to choose how far you go. What you hunger for, you will experience 
What you long for, you may say, well, I don't know about that. Well, Jesus said he would satisfy it. And so if God puts in your desire a greater, your passion to see the miraculous, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will experience it. If you begin to hunger for more intimacy with God and a clear hearing of his voice, and you begin to hunger and thirst, you will experience it. There's an Old Testament story, very, very short. You may heard it if you were around church growing up about Enoch. And it says this, Enoch walked with God, and he was no more because God took him up. God decided, I like you so much. You're hungering so much. I'm just going to take you with me. Crazy. Why can't I get to that level? Why can't I experience that reality? Who says you can't? Some of the great church fathers, people of uh, faith in the past, Charles Finney, he had an experience. I want to read a little bit about it. It says, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love, for I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with the joy and with love and I do not know but I should say I literally bellowed out unutterable gushings of my heart I experienced the love of God so richly D.L. Moody, another great preacher, he said, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again, and the sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. Is it possible that you have just barely scratched the surface of the surface of an experience with God, but your hunger is dictating your experience? Is it possible that your longing for righteousness is so small, or that you're dabbling at the table of a thousand pleasures, and you're numbing your passion for righteousness to such a degree that it's limited your experience? What would happen... If just our church, hundreds of people in three different locations that, would, that gather together every Sunday, what would happen if just our church, all of us, began to hunger for righteousness? What are the limits of what God could do? Here's what I do know. Any sin that you're battling with has a victory in Jesus. Any sin. Any addiction that seems too strong can be satisfied or cured or healed in Christ. How do I know that? Because the scripture says if you hunger for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. See, growing out of this desire to be right with God comes this longing to be more like Jesus. To be more like Jesus. And God promises that he will satisfy that longing. But now my hunger expands even more. You doing okay? Turn to the person next to you just asking, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm a little sleepy. No, no, wake up. Wake up. That hunger expands now. It expands to an even greater degree. And so I desire to be more like Jesus, but now you'll find within yourself another insatiable hunger. This is the third thing you can jot it down. I hunger to see others hungry. 
I hunger to see others hungry. See, as you mature in your walk with God, as this hunger for righteousness grows inside of you, it begins with a need to be right with God, which is satisfied in the gospel. And then it creates inside of you a longing for sanctification, this desire to be more like Jesus, this desire for righteousness. But then out of that desire for righteousness, you begin to look around and say, my heart now begins to break for those that don't know Christ, those that are far from God. And it's so hurtful to me, the number of Christians I talk to that feel no unction, hello, feel no unction to share their faith, feel no passion to pray for those that don't know Christ. And I think to myself, how is it possible for you to hunger for Jesus and not long for others to meet him? But so often followers of Jesus, they say, oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm not an evangelist. Maybe you're not hungry. Maybe you're not hungry because what we see in the scripture is the reality is that as my hunger for righteousness expands, it includes a longing to see others hunger. And so I begin to cry out for family members or friends to God. And I say, oh, God, the God that hears the hungry, the God that responds to those who act in faith, would you please draw my brother? Would you draw my friend from work? Would you draw my friend from school? Would you give them a desire for you? Would you make them hungry? And then when you start to see someone come to Christ or when you see a friend come back to God or when you see a young believer mature in their faith, something inside of you just explodes. John said it like this, I have no greater joy in the the New Testament. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. It just makes me sing inside. Why? Because he was hungry to see others hunger. He was hungry to see others hunger I think you may have a dietary problem. You may have a problem with your diet. When I was a kid, I was in middle school, and uh, I was getting these headaches every day. Every single day, about 11 o'clock, I'd get a headache, and a pounding headache, like a cluster, you know, migraine headache. So I went to the doctor, and uh, they did all these tests, you know. They were concerned, like, oh, I don't know, I think you might have a glaucoma problem, or I think you might have a brain aneurysm problem, or maybe he's got some other problem. And they're doing all these tests and all these tests, and so they tested that it wasn't glaucoma, praise the Lord, and it wasn't a brain aneurysm, and it wasn't a migraine cluster headache. It wasn't any of those things. You know what it was? It's waffles. It was waffles. Every single morning, I'd eat Eggo waffles to the glory of God. And I would eat them, and I enjoyed maple syrup. And so I would douse the Eggo waffles with maple syrup to such a degree that they, like every little crevice, you know what I'm saying, somebody say amen, was filled with the, with the syrup. And so I was absorbing every morning as a teenage kid in a weird time anyways, right, when everything starts growing and hair starts poking out and pimples are going and you've got braces so I can enjoy the waffles all day. You know, and so, and, and, and you know, you're doing all that. Some of you just got that. And you're doing all that. And, and, and then I'm, I'm consuming these large amounts of sugar in the morning and putting nothing else in my stomach. And so by 11 o'clock, my head is pounding because I consumed too much sugar early in the morning and didn't have anything in my in my body to kind of balance it out and so I stopped eating Eggo waffles in the morning to my dismay but the headaches went away all it was was a dietary problem and here's what I'm concerned about for our church I'm concerned that in this season of your life you have a massive dietary problem and you haven't connected the dots, and you're nibbling on a good movie here, and fun times with friends there, and a, you know, an hour and a half on Facebook here, and some time tinkering around with that toy here, and then just watching the sports game there, things that are not sinful, bad, or evil by nature, but you've just eaten enough to spoil your appetite. 
And so you've kind of dabbled here and dabbled there and you felt kind of significant through this and you felt kind of important through that and you had this sort of eternal experience there and you had this sort of value through your spouse and all good things, but you've nibbled at all these little things and it's just like when you eat the donut before the feast, now you don't want the feast quite as much because you've satisfied yourself with something that wasn't meant to satisfy. And you've nibbled here and you've nibbled there and now you don't seem to have a longing for the great things of God. What have you been eating? What have you been eating? When you look at your own life, if you were standing up on that mountain with Moses and he said, I'm going to give you the promised land, all the things you've wanted, I'll even send an angel with you, that's pretty awesome, but I'm not going to be, my presence won't be near you. Would you be like, all right, I can live with that. Or would you respond like Moses and say, no way, God, I didn't come here for promised land. I didn't follow you for milk or honey. I didn't follow you for a perfect spouse or for a wonderful marriage every single minute. I didn't follow you for the great job promotion. That's not why I got in this game. I followed you, God, because I want you. I want you. That's all I want. And if I don't have you, I don't want it. I don't care. You know what? I will trade all that stuff just for a life with you, God. I want you. I want to be more humble. I want to be more honest. I want to be more holy. I want to desire you. Is that what's going on inside your soul? Blessed are those. See, Jesus wants you happy. He wants you happy, but the road to happiness is to hunger for what's supposed to satisfy you. Righteousness, only righteousness satisfies that great soul hunger. Jot this down if you'd like. Here's your prayer, your breath prayer for the week. I want to urge you, pray these prayers. Pray these prayers. You say, I don't have time. I would say, brother, this takes about five seconds. You have time. Jot it down. Put it on a sticky note on the dashboard of your car. Do whatever you got to do to remember this. A little simple prayer. It'll be on the screen. God, I pursue your heart. Grow my hunger. God, I pursue your heart. Grow my hunger. God, I orient my life in pursuit of your heart. Not your gifts, not your hand. I pursue your heart. I pursue your heart. Grow my hunger. God, I pursue your heart. Grow my hunger. Boy, let me tell you, if you started praying that every day, turn your world upside down. Pursue your heart. Grow my hunger. Would you stand to your feet with me if the band wants to come up? I'm going to sing a song in just a second here. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's here. He's here. Something inside of you right now is already starting to stir up that's from God. I want to talk to a couple specific people right now. First one, if you're here this morning and you're not right with God, like I said earlier, do not leave the room. doesn't matter if you're 14 years old or 46 or wherever you're at. Don't leave the room without being made right with God. There's a righteousness that you can never satisfy through your good deeds. No matter how many good things you do, your conscience will still nag at you. Maybe you've been to church a hundred times, but you still don't have that confidence in grace. You've never rested in the fact that Christ is your righteousness. You need to receive him today. You need to surrender afresh, and you need to throw your faith down at the cross and say, I'm putting it all in. I'm betting everything on the gospel. I'm betting everything on the good news of your love for me. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And you need to leave this place a new man, a new woman with an assurance that God has washed your sins away. Oh, I pray right now God would start to give you a hunger for that if you need it.
If you're here today and you say, you know, I, I know God's forgiven me, but Justin, I'm not all that hungry. You know, I don't really long for righteousness like you're talking about. I don't think about how I can be more holy or how I can be more humble or how I can be more honest or how I can be more pure in heart. I, I just, you know, I'm kind of just thinking about other things, how I can grow my gifts or how I can expand my influence or how I can increase my bank account. And again, those things, it's not that those are evil things by nature. It's just that they're disproportionate because you can pursue them all your life and still be starving when you die because you didn't hunger after the only food that would satisfy, which is righteousness. If you've been spoiling your appetite for a long time, I just want to encourage you, take this moment to say, God, I, uh, I'm tired of spoiling my appetite with the nibblings of this life. I want to long for you. And ask him that he would put inside of you a greater hunger this morning. We didn't come here just to gather. We came here for an encounter. You didn't come here to hear me. You didn't come here to hear a band. You came here because you needed to hear God. And he's talking to you right now. And as we sing this song, I even believe right now as we prophetically declare his truth through this song, that the Spirit of God is in the room and he wants to begin right now to infuse your heart with an impartation of hunger. If you're here today and you long for God and you need that longing to increase, I want to urge you just to cry out to him. Cry out to him right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's one more person I want to talk to, though. You're here today, and uh, and you're pretty broken inside. You might have a nice makeup on and stuff, but on the inside, you're, you're pretty bruised up because you've tried to obey God and you failed. And you tried to obey him and you failed. And you told him, God, never again, and then you failed. God, I'm not going to do it again, and then you failed. God, not this time, I promise, and you failed. God, I'm going to get better, and you failed. And you promised again and failed, and promised again and failed, and promised again and failed, and then you 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 promised again. And now here you are. You're starting to think, you know, I don't know, is this, does this even work? I heard somebody say it like this. It's not that it doesn't work. It's that you're not working it. Because there's a promise in this passage that I want to remind you of right now. If you would be audacious enough to hunger for righteousness, he promises he'll satisfy. If you need freedom from habitual sin, cry out to him today. God hears you, and he wants to bring freedom. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing. Holy Spirit, would you come into the room right now? Holy Spirit, would you walk into the room right now? We want to welcome your presence in Jesus' name. We want to welcome the nearness of God in Jesus' name. The scripture says, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Oh, if that were true of us today, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I desire nothing on earth. I desire nothing on earth but you, God. I pray that you start to shift something on the inside of us. For those that are not right with you, God, those that have, don't have confidence of your righteousness, I pray that you reveal Jesus, your son, right now. For those of us that have spoiled our appetites, God, with the nibblings of this life, I pray that you sanctify us 
right now and set us apart with a new hunger for righteousness, a new longing for your word. For those of us who are broken, God, broken because of the consistency of our failure, I pray right now that you meet us with the promise that says you will satisfy our longing if we would just trust you, if we would just long for righteousness. You will lead us on the path of victory from sin and freedom from bondage. Lord, I pray right now, would you come? Would you come in Jesus' name? Would you meet us in the name of Jesus? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray.